The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we are in chapter, the end of chapter 14 right now. Uh, chapter uh, 14 has been all about how to do public worship and particularly talks about spiritual gifts. Are we doing okay here? That was Drew, everybody. <laughs> they didn't see you? Oh, goodness. <laughs> what do I know about anything? Uh, anyhow, you guys are going to see Drew later. But um, So uh, we are in 1 Corinthians, and we're calling this series Good News for Bad Christians because the Corinthian church, just like me, just like us, is uh, an incredibly messed up group of people that needs a lot of help, and God has graciously, uh, very kindly uh, leaned into their issues and has given us the first book of 1 Corinthians. And so we're going to read... Uh, some fiery verses here at the end of chapter 14, and then we're going to start breaking those down together. Um, if you have a Bible, you can look at that with me. Um, if you don't, the verses will be on, this, on the screen as we go through these, uh, as we preach through this passage. So let me read these verses for us, and then we'll start looking at this together. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything that they should desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. Or was it for you that the word of God came? Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing to you, as, a, as are commanded from the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So let's pray together. Father, as we look at this word together, um, I pray that you would uh, help us to lean in and hear what you were saying to us as we see that you love to lead us in life-giving worship because your presence is among us. And so even right now, as we worship in this virtual setting, that you would do this for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before anybody starts reacting to this passage and starts kind of going off the rails with all of these, uh, these statements, let's back up and I want to address uh, the big deal of what's going on in this passage. This passage is addressing public worship. It's addressing how we get together and worship Jesus and uh, awkwardly enough, we're doing this passage in a virtual setting. I said this in our statement on the COVID-19 stuff this week. While this technology that we're using right now, this live streaming is convenient, we must orient towards it as a necessary compromise for the time being. Worship and life together in Jesus is inherently analog. We need physical presence together. So there is a certain degree, a high degree of awkwardness and um, a high degree of irony in talking about this passage in particular um, in this situation. I recognize that, but I wonder if this passage in some ways can capture for us uh, that sense of why we actually miss getting together with God's people on a Sunday morning. Uh, there is maybe for you, like for me, a sense of this just kind of feels a little weird. Uh, I'm not, I've never preached a sermon like this before. I'm not used to worshiping with people uh, in their own living rooms and me being in somebody else's living room. Uh, but maybe this passage helps us to articulate 
why we value the physical presence of other people and worshiping Jesus and maybe begins to help us recognize what we've taken for granted and being able to get together on a Sunday morning and valuing what happens in that situation. In this situation, even still, a little bit more. Uh, what we are going to do, um, rather than looking at a sermon on anxiety and fear, which we may do in the days ahead, I think we want to lean into what God's doing in this passage so that we see that God is doing something among his people when we get together that is unique and that is specifically led by God in worshiping him. So what I want to do is put on your radar as we kind of starting out, we typically do, what's the main idea? As we get into this passage, the main idea I want to put on your radar is that verse 33 starts out with that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And remember, so God, Paul is speaking to their corporate worship setting. They're getting together to hear from God, bring all their anxieties to him, bring all their fears and hopes and doubts and um, excitements and joys and celebrations from the week, bring those into his presence. And that is supposed to reflect the character of God and how it is done so that it is, is a peaceful and orderly uh, worshiping of God, which is what you see in, the, in verse, 44, or verse 40. All things should be done decently and order. And you might call these kind of like the two posts of the passage, and we're going to string our clothesline between them and see how God character, God's character and presence among his people as he leads us in worship connects not only God's peace and who he is as, a, as God himself, and then what our worship should do and reflect. So God leads us in what we're going to be calling life-giving worship. So here's the main point of the passage. Our worship must reflect the life-giving presence of God. Our worship must reflect the life-giving presence of God. What we're going to uh, see in this passage is a bit of a photo negative of that reality. I don't know if, actually, I don't even know if people know what photo negatives are these days. Uh, when I was in high school, uh, we had photo class, you know, uh, the photography class, and you would, you would take the, what used to be called a, what is it, the camera reel <laughs> of photos, and you had to put it through all the solutions, and then you get your actual picture, but it looked like um, the reverse of everything that was uh, on the photo reel. This passage is a bit like that. There are some, some negative dynamics that Paul is addressing, and when we kind of put this through the verse 33 and verse 40 together, God's presence among us is peace, he himself is peace, and that our worship should reflect order we worship, uh, his character among us. We begin to see then uh, the chemicals, so to speak, transform this verse from a photo negative into the positive realities of what Paul is addressing. And so... What is our worship, what is God's worship leading among us look like? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up in verse 33. God's worship bestows dignity. Uh, I'm just making sure. Are we getting the slides up? Is everything, we're good? Cool. Uh, I'm, I'm so used to having like the slides that I can kind of engage with. So this is all new to me. So here we go. Verse 33 to 35. Let me read these again. All the ladies among us, I'm sure, will get a little stiff in their back while we're reading this. And I promise... This will make a lot more sense once we work through this. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the church, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. Okay, so I want to acknowledge up front, this verse uh, is very uh, abrasive. If you just kind of pick it, cherry pick it out of context, 
a bit of like walking by um, a, a conversation that your friends are having and you hear one line that could be a bit offensive and in context it actually makes a lot of sense. These verses are just like that. Unfortunately, these, these verses have been used um, and cherry-picked out of context within the history of the church uh, to basically suppress the voice of half the church, right? Women make up half the world's population, if you didn't know that, uh, and they make up half the population of the church, and it has been used to basically say women should not be speaking in, in, the, in church services or in public gatherings, which is a bit odd, and if, if you've been following through 1 Corinthians, you'll remember that in chapter 11, verse 5, Paul says that basically women should be giving prophetic words and praying in the church. So how does Paul say that in chapter 11, verse 5? And then here, chapter 14, verse 34, women should be silent. So if you're picking up on the tension, that's because these words, uh, what's the guy's name from uh, um, the Princess Bride? Um, I don't think that means what you think it means. <laughs> This is a bit like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what we're going to do is we want to remember the context of what's going on. So the context is public worship. What we're going to do is I want to pick up three things out of these verses and then kind of put them all together to help us see uh, what's going on in these verses. So the first thing I want to pick up on is this phrase, not permitted to speak, right? So you see that there. Uh, If you're looking at your Bibles, uh, verse 34 the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are, here's the phrase I want to pick up on, not permitted to speak. Now, that phrase in our English translations comes very abrasively, but it's actually picking up uh, it's the same word and the same phrasing of what Paul was doing in verses 28 and 30, and now 34, where Paul has been in the public worship setting, been addressing, okay, how do you do, you know, a woman gets a prophetic word in the church, or a guy gets a prophetic word in the church, or on the other hand, a guy gets a, a, uh, a gift of tongues, or a woman gets a p- gift of tongues in the church, what do you do? Do you share those or not? And Paul, if, if you remember from previous weeks, and if you're interested, you can go listen to those sermons. Paul basically says, if you've got a, uh, a gift of tongues, uh, don't share it in the public setting unless there's a translation or an uh, interpretation of that tongue. And so what that means is he says, basically, keep silent in public worship without an interpretation. So what he is doing in those verses is saying, uh, you need to allow, even though you're all hyped up on the Holy Spirit and you're excited about what God's doing, you need to allow for silence if you don't have a, a translation. And that's exactly what's going on here in this passage. The, the phrasing actually should probably be translated more along the lines of uh, women who... Uh, should be wanting to speak in the public worship service in this situation that he's addressing, and we're going to get to that, should allow for silence because the, the way in which they're doing this is not helpful. So first things first, not permitted to speak is more of in the way that they want to speak and what they're trying to do with what they're speaking rather than uh, women be quiet. <laughs> That's not what Paul's saying. So the second thing we want to pick up is on this phrase that says should be in submission as the law says here in verse uh, let's see, that is the end of verse 34, should be in submission, so for women are not permitted to speak, but be in submission as the law also says. So uh, the first question that we want to ask is, what exactly is the, law, is the law that Paul is referring to? Because that's kind of what he's hanging this phrase on. They should be in submission as the law, as the law commands. Uh, some people point to Genesis 3, um, where God, after... after excuse me, after the fall of Adam and Eve gives the curse of the fall to us and he says that women will desire to rule over their husbands. 
I don't think that's what Paul's referring to because he's using a good design to reference how men and women should be relating in worship. So I think what Paul's actually doing is just a chapter earlier, chapter, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where he is referring to the divine order, how God ordered creation. Um, and if you read through that, uh, very just at a surface level, God creates these uh, complement uh, items to work together. So he creates sun and moon to be the light for the night and for the day. He creates the sky and the earth to be the place where we live between. He creates um, animals and mankind to work together. He has plants and the sea. So there's all these sort of, they match each other elements within the creation. And so then you get to man and women and they're made to work together. It's a ordering. And so that's actually the way this word should be maybe translated. Submission is a, is a strong word where it's really what's in view is the order of how God created creation to be. A joyful, respecting, loving compliment to each other, not a rulership. And so when Paul's addressing them, he's saying, in your life together, everyone needs to be in their ordered place, right? Because remember, chapter 14 is all about how do we do this order of worship? Um, he's not really emphasizing submission in terms of authority and those sort of things. Um, he's really emphasizing, okay, how do you do this in a way that honors God? Where do the prophetic gifts enter into the picture? Where does the gift of tongues enter into the picture? How does love rule and, and guide these things? So there's an order of kind of almost like a dance, you could say, that's in view when he says this. And so really it's more of women should, women should be in their ordered place within the worship service of God. That's not to say they should be in their subservient back in the nursery place. <laughs> What he's saying is, as we worship God together, men and women, we should be in our ordered place together, in, our, in the right dance step, so to speak. Then verse 35, this is the third thing, and then we'll kind of summarize this. You know, I just want to pick up on that phrase here. He says, if there is anything the women desire to learn, let them, now this word I want to pick up, ask their husband at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in public. So here's what I want to do. I want to lift that word out and recognize that let them ask phrase is maybe not the best way to kind of orient towards that. Because the way we read that is just kind of like, uh, almost like uh, if you've been at our church services recently, we've started doing Q&A after the, after the sermon. And you could read this and say basically like half the church, all the women in the church, actually probably less than that because it's, he's addressing the married women. The married women in the church should not be asking any church or any questions in the Q&A after the service. Almost kind of like, if my wife had a question for me after the sermon and she wanted to ask it in the church service, hey, Jacob, can you please explain this verse to me again? That's how we read this and hear that, and that's really not what Paul is addressing. What he's really addressing is if I, for example, um, gave a prophetic word in the worship service and I said, you know, I really feel like God is speaking a word of encouragement to those who are feeling anxious right now, and I had some prophetic word along those lines, it would be as though what Paul's addressing here is if Michelle came up after me and just started saying like, hmm, I really, you know, I think I have a prophetic word for Jacob and Jacob, how can you have uh, words of encouragement for other people in the church uh, when you were yelling at the kids this week? <laughs> it feels a bit awkward, right? That's, that's exactly what Paul's addressing here because that word interrogation is used um, through the gospel accounts, actually, um, it's, it's translated as interrogation between Jesus and the Pharisees. So the asking is more of like asking, rather than just kind of like, hey, I got a question, right? Because when Jesus interrogates the Pharisees or when Jesus, the Pharisees interrogate Jesus, that's the word that's being used here. So it has a much more abrasive tone to it 
um, then kind of how we lift that off there. And then just the, a, a final comment here on the end of 35, and then we'll wrap this up, where he talks about it being shameful for a woman to speak in church um, like this. He's referring to, um, in the life of Jesus, you sometimes it's actually in all four gospel accounts, when Jesus is going around and speaking, it's commented in all the gospels that in one way or another, uh, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when Jesus is going around, you have it said um, in Luke 4.24, John 4.4, 4, Matthew 13.57, and Mark 6, 5, uh, 4 through 5, that basically Jesus was shamed in his hometown, right? It's like uh, Jesus from Manchester, he can get a lot of uh, followers all over the country, but when he comes back and hangs out with his bros in Manchester, they're just kind of like, man, this guy is totally nuts and nobody should ever listen to him. So you have that in mind, right? The worship service that Paul is talking about, we don't, we don't orient towards shaming each other. We don't orient towards making fun of each other in the worship service. We don't orient towards um, belittling other people in the, pro- in the public worship of Jesus. And so the context of what you're describing, you can kind of pick up that that's kind of what these, uh, these wives were doing in this situation is they were basically belittling their husbands in public. And the, the, the funny part about this is like, Paul basically says, if you want to interrogate your husband, just do it at home. <laughs> don't do it in front of everybody else. So he's not saying women don't have thoughts, uh, don't have objections. He's just saying, basically, don't do your marriage counseling in front of the church. You know, like, that's kind of what he's talking about. So let me propose uh, this translation and then give you a little bit of an illustration of what I'm thinking about. Here's, here's what uh, Anthony Thistleton, here's how he translates this verse. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the churches of God's holy people, when congregations meet in public, the women should allow for silence. For there exists no permission for them to speak in the way they do. Let them keep to their, keep to their ordered place as the law indicates. If they want to learn anything, let them interrogate their own husbands at home. For a woman to speak thus in public, worship brings disgrace. Uh, this is a bit, uh, Alex and I were talking about before this, the service, um, this is a bit like that episode in The Office where Michael and Jan have the house party. And it's just like everybody's coming over to have a good time. And it is the most awkward, like they have a horrible marriage situation, right? You know, why do we have such a small TV and those sort of things? It's like that episode of The Office. That's what what Paul is addressing and engaging with. So it's not this universal blanket statement that no woman should ever speak in the public worship. That's why we're saying this is a photo negative, right? There was a negative situation going on when the reality is God has designed our public worship and our worship services together to bring uh, honor to each other, actually, actually to bestow uh, dignity and who we are together. So a few thoughts on how this kind of works out in our life together. I think this is one of those things where public worship is a witness to the family of Jesus in a culture that largely dehumanizes people, right? If you think about this, right, our phones turn our conversations into three little dots that we wait for somebody so that really we turn our conversations into something where we are expecting somebody uh, to feed our needs of what it means to communicate quickly, right? Rather than actually engaging the person, they're turned into three little dots as we wait to hear from them, right? There is, uh, there is no face or emotion in our conversations when we're texting. I'm not saying that it's sinful. I'm just saying that it just kind of dehumanizes the, com- the nature of what it means to talk to other people. 
Our political discourse, as we all are very, very aware, is polarizing. It reduces other people to hot takes and one-bit lines. Uh, we think about I, I think about the proliferation of pornography and how we worship uh, as uh, how we worship sexuality, and it reduces people to skin and postures, and rather than actual people to love and know and enjoy for who they are. Um, how individuals often are reduced to tweets and lives are reduced to simple positions on various issues. We often live in a culture that dehumanizes who we are in our life as a in our life together. And uh, I think what God is intending to do when he calls us together to worship him is he actually calls us and says, I see everything that you are. I see everything about you. And I want you near me. That's why the New Testament makes such a big deal about suddenly Jews and Greeks are worshiping together. You have to remember that's almost kind of like uh, saying that basically Republicans and Democrats uh, decided they actually like each other for once, you know, and they got together um, and worshiped Jesus together. Um, it would be like saying maybe um, you think about the countries of the world that are at polar opposites to each other and the ones that are being victimized um, inviting those who are beating down on them into their worship services. That's why the, the New Testament is so emphatic that uh, slaves worship together with their masters. It was actually the New Testament's way of undermining the slave trade. Think about the way the New Testament uh, invites women and men to equally worship as co-heirs in Jesus, their Father in heaven. Basically, effectively saying, uh, women are going to inherit as much of God and his world to come as men are in a world that largely saw women as an aberration. The New Testament church is so emphatic on bestowing dignity that we sometimes kind of take it for granted and forget how much God is doing and just the mere fact of us getting together, everybody having equal say and equal part and raising our hands and our voices to God together. I wonder in the days right now if that's not something that would radically impact our witness for Jesus. Um, in a polarized, dehumanizing culture, living as a people in Jesus that is bestowed dignity by God himself as we worship him, maybe one of the most simple and effective ways of just simply sharing the love of Jesus with each other and our neighbors. So the second thing that God, we're going to see in this passage is that God, God's worship, what does it do to us? God's worship leads us in submission to him. We're going to be a little bit more quicker on this ver these verses, but pick up here with me in verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the, that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. I'm freshly reminded of this um, in the wave of this last week of all these charlatan pa uh, uh, pastors online. Uh, you might, I, I hesitate to call them even pastors. Uh, people who use religious language, speaking online, selling snake oil cures for coronavirus and all of these sort of nonsense things. Um, they are not submitted to the word of God. Um, this is similar to what Paul is addressing. People who have a high view of themselves that think that they have gotten in with Jesus and have a, a certain uh, mixture for divine worship that is special and above everybody else. And Paul is basically calling them out and saying, did the word of God start with you? Then why are you making yourself such a big deal? See, 
Paul is addressing here yet again, when he thinks about the corporate worship setting, he thinks worship in Jesus must submit to his word together, right? He's basically saying, right, he almost says it point blank, if anyone thinks, um, are you the, uh, if you are not acknowledging the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord, then you really don't know Jesus, um, that's what he, he's, he's point blank saying, look, the apostles are writing scripture, and if you don't submit to the scripture that God's giving through his apostles, um, then you might not actually know Jesus. Uh, this, is, this is similar to earlier in 1 Corinthians where Paul, um, every 11 verses in chapters 1 through 3 or 4, uh, every 11 verses is citing scripture as he's beginning this whole letter with them. Um, he's citing scripture. He cites scripture six times um, in these first three verses. Scripture as much as we would uh, think about it as the whole Bible, for Paul, it was the Old Testament, and they were he was quoting it left and right. It was saturated in him because his worship of God was infused and filled by the power of his word. Um, we must remember this as we worship God because that's why for us, our, wish, our scripture, I'm sorry, our worship services are, are word-saturated. So if you're new to following along with us, um, we, when we get together, we're actually, this is very similar to what we do on a Sunday morning, uh, we start with God's word calling us to worship him because it's God who speaks and invites us. And then after we have sung his praise about who he is and what he's done for us, we then receive his word and the scripture readings for the week telling us who he is and what he's done. And then uh, as after we hear about what God's doing among us in our announcements, we hear like we're doing right now from his word. And then as we respond and singing and praise to him and actually being guided through worshiping him in a meal, of uh, joining Jesus, uh, we are sent by our benediction with God's word. And that's why we are so word-saturated, because it is, in fact, how Paul orients towards public worship. Uh, worship must involve submission to God's word. So let me, let me read for you some of what this does for us in our worship of God together. When we, when we love Jesus through the Bible, this is what the Bible says to us. The word of God... It is perfect, reviving the soul. It is sure, making wise the simple. It is right, rejoicing the heart. It is pure, enlightening the eyes. It is clean, enduring forever. It is true and righteous altogether. The word of God takes on flesh in Jesus Christ himself, the Bible's spine and goal. It is all about him, so that with Peter and from John 6, we say to Jesus, in the Bible, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The Bible is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the child of God uh, may be complete and equipped for every good work. While we long to see Jesus face to face, we want to see him for who he is. Peter, who saw Jesus' transfiguration into glory, saw him radiating uh, on the mountain, he says about this, and we have the prophetic word, the Bible, more fully confirmed that you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, to which you should pay attention until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It is in the Bible that we actually see Jesus and meet him. Jesus, if you wonder what the Bible looks like, Jesus is what the Bible looks like in human form. And then we look to the Bible to see and enjoy who Jesus is as he shepherds us as a people. So as we are working through these days ahead right now, frankly, I wonder 
if this is not a time to renew our commitment to seeing Jesus in Scripture, to enjoying him together, to submitting to him in his word. If you're looking for a place to start, if you're just like, I don't know where to start, I would recommend starting with the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is like the comic book of the, of the Gospel accounts. It's action-packed, and it's showing you who Jesus is one after the other. It is leading you in who he's like. If you're looking for a place to pray, the Psalms are a great place to pray. Uh, Psalm 23 is where you should start. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, as my soul is anxious, Lord, you are my shepherd and you guide me. Um, if you're looking for a place for a little bit of some instruction, uh, Colossians is a great place to remind yourselves Jesus is the king and he's in control. And if you're looking for wisdom these days, the book of James is a great place to go. Uh, I'm just throwing these out there as ideas as we think about what does it look like to worship Jesus in these days, and I wonder if a renewed commitment to being submitted to God's person, who he is in his word, is one of the best antidotes for our own anxieties and fears. So let's end with this. Let's finish out with verse 39, verse 40. God's worship, what does it do to us? God's worship leads us in changing. Let me read verse 39 and 40 for us. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. If you read these and you're kind of uh, wigged out about the whole prophecy in tongues thing, honestly, we talked about that the last few weeks. I would direct you to go listen to those sermons. The main point is that God wants us to be giving prophetic, encouraging words regularly to each other, and he wants us to experience intimacy with him in a way that is profound and refreshing and results in more encouraging words to his church. But the, the meaning of these verses is pretty obvious, right? <laughs> There's really not very much to translate here. Uh, he ends, but all things should be done decently and in order, right? Um, as a good type A, he's just basically saying, keep it together, guys, right? <laughs> One thing I wanted to pull out of these verses uh, is that they are an ongoing command. You should be continuing at all times and ongoing to keep things decently and in order as you worship God together. And I think as we work through these verses, uh, we can be tempted to think, oh, I've got it licked. I now understand spiritual gifts. I understand what worship means. I understand all this stuff. Um, pull the lever. Things change. Life moves on. And that's not really, that's not really the way uh, our lives work. We don't just get a new data input and suddenly everything changes and our behavior is different tomorrow, right? How many of you uh, think about your New Year's resolutions? And I'm not trying to shame anybody here, but how many of our New Year's resolutions have we stuck to? Um, and it's only been barely over two months, right? How many of us started 2020 thinking, I know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through coronavirus without any fear or anxiety. <laughs> That's not the way our lives work. Um, God is the one in control. And often we do not live up to our, our even best expectations. And frankly, that's what happens with the church in Corinth, right? They had all these issues going on, and Paul writes them one letter. They still had issues going on. Paul writes them 1 Corinthians. They still had issues going on. Paul writes them a third letter. They still have issues going on. We don't have that letter. Paul writes them 2 Corinthians, and they still have issues going on. And so this letter was written around 40, uh, 55 AD. 2 Corinthians was written a few years later. 
And then even after Paul's death, we have a letter from uh, a pastor in, the, in Rome from 95 AD, Clement of Rome, where he basically writes them another letter 40 years later, correcting the same issues again. I mean, it's just kind of like, guys, like, how big a bonehead can you be? But I think what we have uh, in these verses is a pattern that God has designed for how we change, not a formula. Uh, we are often like trees, and we take years and years and years to change. If you think about the years, I, I was thinking about this this last week. I was reflecting on um, race relations in our in our country, and the fact that, in effect, if you just even start with uh, 1619 as the date when slaves, when African slaves were started getting sold in America, uh, up to the date when even just if you were just to consider uh, the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, that's about 250 years, and then almost 100 years later, uh, when desegregation happened, so almost 350 years of uh, slavery and effectively dehumanizing of African slaves in America and their descendants, and yet it's only been maybe 70 years since that time, 50 years since uh, de- desegregation. It's going to take us some time to figure out healthy, whole, peaceful relations between African, uh, African-Americans and the rest of the country. Uh, understandably so. And just like in 1 Corinthians, they took some time. It takes time to figure out how do we not idolize factions? How do we not idolize pastors and preachers? How do we not uh, use money to uh, show how much better we are than other people in the church? How do we you know, figure out this? How do genders relate to each other? It takes time. It takes time to figure out and grow in Jesus together because just like trees, it takes years and years and years to go from a little seed uh, in Jesus to a gigantic wild oak. And so that's what Paul ends us with. He reminds us of this, I think, in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Right? We, we are changed from one degree, and we want to think of that like a whole degree. Right? <laughs> We've gone from uh, 180 to 179. Well, it's maybe more like 180 degrees uh, on this issue to maybe 179.999 one day after the next. But it's actually hopeful that God is not looking to us to be people who radically change overnight, That can happen, but who change slowly. And so even as we work through these days of the coronavirus and how do we, uh, what does it mean, uh, what's going on, uncertain, uncharted territories, understandably there can be a lot of anxiety and fear for people. And on the other side, there can be uh, frustrations with how things are being handled. These are all God's situations for changing us from one degree of glory to being people who reflect the character and life of Jesus. So wherever you find yourself in that map, God does not look to you and says, why can't you just get your act together? He says, come and worship me. Get to know who I am. Respond to who I am. And you'll become like my son. Slowly, one day after the next, changed from one degree of glory to the next. And so right now, if you're struggling with fear and anxiety of what's going on, one of the best things you can do is respond to who Jesus is. See him, 
worship him. One of the things I want to do is uh, throw up a playlist of the songs that we sing the most in our church, uh, a Spotify playlist. I'll throw that up on the website this afternoon so that those can be feeding your souls to see Jesus and respond to him. And I pray that as you do that, respond to who he is one week after the next, you will begin to experience what it is to know and live in the shadow of the God of peace. To know what it's like to rest in his presence. To know what it's like, even with your anxieties out of whack and your fear out of whack, to continue to direct your soul to worship God and experience his life-giving presence among you. So, as we work through this passage, maybe this is one of the best things we can start out this kind of three-week section for us of doing virtual church is reminding us, even in this situation, God's presence is among us and he's changing us to rest in the shadow of our peaceful, life-giving God. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.